you look at church history, God calls people into leadership, sharing His heart. And there's often times when this, when it's done to call the church back to a spirit-filled, spirit-led ministry of the Word and a spirit-filled, spirit-led ministry of deed. And uh, you see this throughout history. And so when we are looking at the apostolic marks of the church, like we are today, and we're specifically looking at leadership, just as we have with every other mark, we're, just not, we're not looking at this general idea of leadership, someone who um, has people follow them. But we're actually looking at what does the Bible say about the apostolic mark of leadership, the type of leadership that God has uh, called to um, define his church. And so we're going to look at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, when looking at this topic today. And when we see this correctly, this passage, 1 through 7 of Acts 6, this provides the model for elders and deacons that we have today at our church. It provides the model for spirit-led word and deed ministry. But I also hope that we'll see, too, that there are some things in this passage that are just so important to understand biblical leadership or servant leadership, or as the Bible often refers to it, just as stewardship, to have stewardship. And I heard Tim Keller say this one time when referring to biblical leadership. He said, the essence of biblical leadership is to receive the resources given to you and grow them for the glory of God. That's, that's at the center of biblical leadership, to receive the resources given to you and to grow them for the glory of God. Now, leadership in the church or stewardship in the church, it looks different for different people. God gives different resources. He gives different callings. He provides qualifications for specific callings in the church. Um, there are also, as we go through this, I hope that this will be a guide for us to, um, because even as he provides specific qualifications for specific callings, and he gives specific resources to, to certain people, there are three things, or there are three types of resources that we are all given. There are three types of resources that we are all given to help the church carry out its mission. And so another way to say this is that we are all stewards of these three things. One, the gospel. We're all stewards of the gospel. Okay, so we're all given the gospel as a resource. We're also all given spiritual gifts as a resource. And then we're also all given people. Every one of us are given people. So those are three things that apply to all of us. So in other words, there's a sense in which biblical leadership applies to everyone here because we've all, get, we've all been given these three resources and we've all been called to make these three things grow. And so let's look at Acts chapter 6 as we see the description of leadership in the church as it pertains to elders and deacons, but also how this flows out into the whole Body. So follow along with me, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, this is the early days of the church, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. So a complaint from the Greek 
section of the church arose against the Hebrews, the Jewish part, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples, so the full church, and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, and a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So here's what I want us to see, that God provides and appoints leadership to the church to carry out to carry out the Christ-modeled ministry of both word and deed. And so we're going to look at four descriptions of leadership that this passage shows us. The first one is designated. And we're going to look at plural leadership, also reproductive leadership, and spiritual leadership. So first, as we look at designated leadership, it was my junior year of a junior-senior prom. And uh, this may be the same way that it was for many of you, but for our junior and senior prom, the juniors were in charge of um, uh, developing or coming up with the idea or the theme of prom and then putting it all together, constructing it, making it all happen. And once we decided on the theme, it was then time to plan how we were going to do it and and it was then time to uh, designate different roles to people and uh, plan the schedule, those sort of things. One of the things that I was um, told to do, or one of the, one of the uh, roles that I played, was to build this small bridge that would, it would lead from a hallway in our gymnasium building. It would lead from a little hallway into, into the gym, which... The design was for this bridge to lead people into this underwater paradise. So sounds cheesy, prom thing. But this bridge was supposed to lead people into that. Now, I still will make this claim to this day that um, it was someone else's job to figure and order and have the materials ready for me to build this bridge when it was time for that to happen. Okay? Then the day came. This was one of the last things that had to be done. When the day came, which was the day before, or two days before the prom, for me to build this bridge, none of the materials were there. Nothing was there for me to get started. And so what I had to do for that last, for that last day was I had to spend that time figuring when I should have been building, figuring and ordering and um, waiting on delivery of all of this lumber and these nails and different things. And so which led to me spending, uh, spending time the night before into the wee hours of the morning putting together this bridge that was supposed to go in our gym. And because of that, one, I didn't get any rest. Two, there, I had to really hurry 
I wasn't able to, to devote the type of detail and time that was needed for that project. And this was because these designations got mixed up. Something got mixed up there. And this kind of thing happens all of the time in all aspects of life. Now, this frustrating experience, it wasn't because, at least I don't think, it was because of any kind of evil intent from anyone else, but someone got out of their lane. Now, a very similar thing, although much more important, I will admit, than junior-senior prom, very similar thing was happening here in Acts chapter 6. The apostles were taking the lead in preaching the word, taking the lead in prayer, but they were also taking the lead in handling money. They were taking the lead in handling the daily distribution to those in need. Specifically here, we're told about the widows, that this was something that they were taking the lead in, and um, this is something that they were trying to carry out. And this was unsustainable. And as we see in the first verse, it was causing some conflict in the church. And it's because these things were be, be, beginning to get neglected. Also, it's inferred here that if this continued the way it was, that the, word, the ministry of the Word and prayer were also going to get neglected if they weren't already being neglected at the time. So a couple of things that are extremely important as we look at Acts chapter 6 and we look at biblical leadership, stewardship as an apostolic mark of the church. The first thing is, is that the apostles recognized that the ministry of Christ through His church was to administer the Word and also to administer mercy in the form of food and support to those in need. Specifically here, we see widows, but this also would have broadened out to orphans, to those that were sick, to the poor. And so here's what I hope can be pointed out through this. The apostles never said, or they didn't uh, try to put a system in place where it was clear that they've been called to preach and teach and pray, and therefore widows and orphans and the sick and the poor that they neglected or that they were willing to neglect. So it wasn't as if, I know that Jesus cared for you, ministered to you, prayed for you, stopped what He was doing to give you attention and care, but we've got too much going on, so we're going to leave that up to another system or to the government or to another social organization. Actually, instead... What the apostles determined was that this is a vital ministry of the church and we aren't doing it well. And if we continue to try to lead this along with the ministry of the Word, then we will be ineffective in both. And so they saw it as a great need, a vital part of the church. And so what they did is they called the church together to elect Deacons elect servants that could come in and lead this part of this, lead this vital part of the ministry. So that's the first thing to see that the apostles knew that this was vital, this was important, that it was not to be neglected, that it had to be a central part of what the church was called to do. Now, also, this new leadership structure that is put in place here, that when we see these seven that are chosen, when we see these seven that were designated to 
deed ministry, it's important to see that they were chosen to lead the ministry of good deeds while the apostles could devote themselves to, to the ministry of the word. Okay, so there was a designation there. And so it's important to see that it, it's not that the apostles could never extend mercy. It was not that the apostles could never um, focus on the sick or the poor or the widows, but it was that there was the designation was for the leadership of deed ministry to go to someone else. So I think it's very safe to say that the apostles didn't just completely neglect it. I think it's clear also that as we continue to read through the book of Acts, that Stephen and Philip, two of the first deacons, were part of preaching the gospel. They were part of preaching the word. But the leadership of these areas was designated. And it was designated for good reason, very clearly. Luke, the author of Acts, wanted us to see that the reason this was taking place is because without designation, these things were, were going to be done ineffectively. Luke wanted us to see that that was so important for leadership. So how can this apply to us? Does this mean that we can't be involved in both word and deed ministry? Of course, that's not what it means. But it does mean that these two areas are so important that they need their own leadership teams in place. They need their own vision casters in place. And first and foremost, they, these Areas of ministry need elders and they need deacons. And from there, others are called to find themselves participating in this area of ministry and even leading in this area of ministry under the leadership of the elders and the deacons. So this principle should also show us that God has uniquely prepared for each one of us in here, children, youth, adults, seniors, He's prepared each one of us for an area of vital ministry, either in the ministry of the Word or in the ministry of deed, to participate in that, to lead in that, and to find ourselves there and to invest ourselves, our time there. And this is, this is, this is actually exactly why we're going through this process in Sunday school that Neil's leading our church through, to discover our gifts, our passions, where we feel like we fit, to discover how we should carry these things out, what's available to carry these things out. Where do we find our, what designated area of ministry do we find ourselves in? How can we lead? How can we serve? How can we be good stewards of what God's called us to do? So leadership is designated. Also, Plural leadership. We need to see that this is describing a leadership of plurality. Now this passage, as it describes plural leadership, it's also wanting us to see that in, in a very real primary sense, this starts with a singular leadership. That Jesus Christ is the sole head of the church. The reason that there's a plurality of leadership is because there is only one sole head of the church, Christ. Upon his shoulders alone does the church rest. He is the true prophet. He is the chief priest. He is the mighty king. And he, by his appointment, by his power, under his rule, he has given to his church leaders and officers, 
but always in plural form. In this passage is a prime example. We see 12 apostles. We see seven deacons. When elders are appointed in the church, it is always multiple elders. And, and let us not deny, there are certain people that get more exposure in Scripture than others. We see Peter that seems to be out in front more. His sermons seem to be recorded more. His words recorded more. Paul seems to be out in front more. His life recorded more. But even they did not act alone. If you look at Acts 8, 14 and 15, this is following Philip preaching the gospel in Samaria. People coming to faith and believing the gospel there. Being baptized there. And then in Acts chapter 8, verses 14 and 15, says, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. And so we see there a plurality of leaders going into the area where the gospel is being preached and where people are coming to faith. And then in Acts chapter 13, we see the church at Antioch sending out the first missionaries. And then in 13.1, this is in verses 1 and 2. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So right there we see a plurality of people in leadership at the church. Then verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so there, plurality in the leadership of the church, but also a plurality in sending people out, sending leaders out from the church at Antioch. Later in Acts, we see that Paul is with Timothy. We see he's with Luke. We see he's with many others. Paul never sees himself as a ruler of men. But in fact, what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is he says that he is a slave to men. Instead of a ruler of men, he sees himself as a slave to men or one who would serve others. Now, Why is this? What's behind this? Two messiahs did not come to earth. Because Jesus did not need another Messiah to come along with him. Why is that? Because Jesus was perfect. He was sufficient, being God himself. But Jesus knows that your heart, my heart, Peter's heart, Paul's heart, are very unlike his heart. And therefore, he, was, he knew it was necessary for there to be 12 followers because Peter would mess up. Thomas would doubt. James and John would struggle with pride, fight over who was the greatest. It was clear. It was clear that the church understood this principle. They began, it took a while, but they began to understand their heart. They began to understand their fallenness, and therefore they understood this principle. And they understood that the church was and should always be set up with a plurality of voices. Multiple voices, multiple people, personalities, all of those types of things. And here's why. First, so 
Why plurality? Here's a few things. First, different people have different passions, and the church needs a multitude of passions, don't we? We need a multitude of passions. We need, we need people that are passionate about word ministry, invest their time there. We need, passionate that are, we need people that are passionate about mercy ministry, and therefore they will give their lives in that area. Also, secondly, different people have different personalities, different dispositions. The church desperately needs that. Sometimes the church needs deep emotion, deep compassion, intense sensitivity. The church sometimes needs a flowing of tears. But when, when that happens, you may not have those tears. Okay, other people will have those tears. And then, and then there are other people that need the ones that have tears in their eyes. Okay, But then there are other times when those people are going to need someone that is firm, that has a toughness to them, that can help them with a different type of struggle or need. The church needs some that are going to be out there all the time. And then the church needs some that are more reserved. The church needs vision casters. And then the church needs some that can help break that vision down. That can help put that vision into motion. The church desperately needs this plurality. And then third point on this. Consider this. What if Jesus had only chosen one apostle? Think about that for a second. What if Jesus had only chosen one apostle to carry on his ministry? Now think about this question in this way. So what if Jesus had chosen only one apostle, and then what if that one apostle had been Judas? Now we know Jesus wouldn't have done that, okay? But we oftentimes want to choose one apostle or one person. We really, we're, it's helpful sometimes to us to be able to look to one person, okay? The plurality of leadership protects us from a Judas. It also protects us from a Peter. <laughs> it can protect us from someone like a Paul. And this is what Jesus desires for his church, for the plurality to protect us from, from a singular person who has fallen. Because when a Peter falls, or when one of your elders falls, or when a deacon falls, or a pastor falls, or a Sunday school teacher falls, or a small group leader or a counselor, when they fall, there is a plurality of leadership to lift them up and the church up. It's so necessary that the church is protected from a Judas. It's so necessary that the church is protected from someone like me and you. That we have a plurality of people in place. Third thing here on your screen. Leadership has to be reproductive leadership. And we are all called to make disciples, every one of us. And our areas of ministry should not die with us. And this, this is a real epidemic, okay? not just in the church, but certainly expands into the church. People cling to their positions. People cling to their businesses, their churches. They're callings in such a way that they are willing to let them die with them. 
Biblical leadership is a call to stewardship, and therefore it's a call to, yes, designated, plural, but it also, also should be reproductive. And look at verse 7 of Acts chapter 6. Verse 7, the end of this passage that we read. And the word of God continued to increase. So this is following what all has just taken place with this designation and this plurality. The word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So verse 7 is expressing this, that this leadership that's being put in place is now multiplying. It's reproducing. Now, this doesn't mean that we are called to raise up people just like us, but it does mean that we are called to reproduce new leadership, new servants. So let's look at a few things in, under this point of reproductive leadership. First, we are stewards of the gospel. We mentioned this at the very beginning. We are stewards of the gospel, and therefore we're called to share our faith. A way to say this is, is that God, by His grace, through others, has revealed His mystery to us. The mysteries of God have been revealed to us. We, we know the gospel. He's used other people in our life at different times to do that. And therefore... As the mystery has been revealed to us, we are now called to make new believers in the gospel that will become new stewards of the gospel. To make new believers of the gospel that will become new stewards of the gospel. And this is what's happening in verse 7. Disciples are being made. And so the thing is is that they're looking at a cycle taking place here. People believing the gospel and, and then they're under their leadership And then disciples are being made that will make new disciples. And so this is just being a good steward of the mysteries of God that we are called to do. And so that's evangelism. So that's one way that reproduction, reproductive leadership is to take place, to be good stewards of the mysteries of the gospel that have been revealed to you. Secondly, teachers are called to reproduce teachers. Prayer warriors are called to reproduce prayer warriors. Pastors reproduce pastors. Elders are called to reproduce elders. Deacons are called to reproduce deacons. Christian business owners are called to reproduce Christian business owners. Singers are called to reproduce singers within the church. And this is all for the glory of God. This is our calling to Reproduce for the glory of God. Now this may be a forgotten mission of the church. This really may be a forgotten mission of the church. That when you, when God calls you to teach, or when God calls you to counsel, that God's calling you, yes, to help people, to inform people, to instruct. God's also calling you to make new counselors. He's also calling you to make new teachers. To, to, to reproduce people on the music team. So when God calls us as leaders, as stewards, He's calling us to reproduce. And then number four, on your screen in front of you, this is also, this leadership is a spiritual leadership. Now, so this is, a, and this is beautiful here in chapter six, because it, what this is saying is, this is making it very clear in the first days of the church that all aspects of the work of the church are spiritual. 
So I love how Luke records the, what the apostles said to the church. He says, pick out seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and wisdom, to serve tables. Okay, now, what that means is, is to care for the assets of the church, to oversee the distribution of goods and to help people, to, over, to handle the money that when people are selling their things and giving to the church... He says, make sure it's people full of the Spirit and wisdom. This is so meaningful to say that when you bring food to someone or when you give someone a coat, it needs to be in the power of the Spirit. So when the deacons here handle the money, that, that so every Sunday, deacons, this is calling you to be full of the Spirit when you handle the money. When we have a work day, the church grant, we're all called to do this and to come together filled with the Spirit to clean up, to take care of our building, our property. This needs to be in the power of the Spirit. Something coming up, when we plan for something like this Reformation Day party, this celebration that we're going to have that involves fellowship of believers, when we come together, this needs to happen in the power of the Spirit. And so the work of the church and the leadership of the church must be a spiritual work, all aspects of it. You see what Luke is getting at here. So I want to look at this as we close. How the ministry of the word and the ministry of, the, of deed must be accomplished by those full of the spirit. <clears throat> I remember watching something on the History Channel not too long ago. And it was a Bible scholar. And I, I say that legitimate Bible scholar on the History Channel denying the resurrection of Christ. And this guy was pumping out Bible verses left and right. He may have memorized the New Testament the way, it, the way he was saying Bible verses. Just left and right, Bible passages, Passages of Scripture, he was referring to these things over and over again. And yet he denied the Christ of the Bible. He denied the Christ that was so clearly shown in the Bible that he so well knew. So in other words, <clears throat> what I was watching was a Bible scholar that had no spirit. He, he did not have the Holy Spirit. So I have to ask, and I have to ask myself, and you can ask Elaine, I've asked myself this question. Could a Bible scholar without the Spirit come up here on Sunday and do what I do? Could, a, could someone who knows the Bible do what Neil does on Sunday mornings? Do what Paul does? Could someone who knows the language of prayer come up here on Sundays and lead us in a time of prayer? someone who leads Scripture? Could someone who is very talented with music and instruments come up and take Becky's place, Fred's place up here and lead us in worshiping the Lord? Now listen, the answer to that question could be yes, but it needs to be no. It needs to be no, because we need to know that it's not just Bible scholars here. It, 
we need to know that it's not just people who know Sunday school material well and can then pass it on to our children and those of us who are in. But we, we need to know that it's the Spirit leading ministry here. We need to know that someone that is good with their hands and it has a, a desire to help people, but without the Spirit, we need to know that that person couldn't come in and take Colin's place or Scott's place as a deacon. We need to know that we are all doing this by the work of the Spirit. And so the only way to answer these questions with a no is if we are men and women who are full of the Spirit. Full of the Spirit and full of the wisdom that comes from God to those that are full of His Spirit. Biblical leadership. This is the design of Christ so that His work would continue through His church. So why would Christ leave us here for so long on earth, thousands of years after He ascended into heaven? It's because He's continuing His work and it's being done through us. He calls people to step up as leaders, to be raised up as leaders, as servant leaders. And I want to close with this passage from Philippians Chapter 2, if you would like to turn there. Philippians 2. I'll look in verses 5 through 8. And close with this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. And actually that word is best said as a slave, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is a description of biblical leadership, of true biblical stewardship as we see the person of Christ humbling himself even to the point of death. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that, Lord, you have, you have called our church here, this particular church, to be a part of a great gospel movement, to be tied in to what your apostles were a part of, to unite to the apostolic church. And as we look to do that, you have called us to be filled with the Spirit as we carry out the ministry of both word and deed. Father, may by your grace, you pour your Spirit out in a special way. May by your grace, may you fill us with your Spirit, Lord, so that we can unite with your mission. We pray all this in Jesus' name.